Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. As you are making your way back to your seats and um, getting situated, I just want to say one more prayer before we jump into this morning uh, for Glenn, and I just forgot everything that Bonnie just told me. But let, let, let's lift him up in prayer for, for his health issues as well. God, we continue to lift up Glenn, and first and foremost, we continue to praise you uh, for sustaining him uh, through all of his medical issues. So we pray for your continued hand of healing upon him. Uh, we pray that you continue to just bless him and Stacy and their family. Give them the peace and strength to go through everything that they have been and continue, are continuing to go through. Uh, but we just, we just trust in you for miraculous healing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, yeah, sorry. I am just really bad with remembering stuff. But uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in the book of Esther. So I'm going to do a quick recap, uh, and then we're going to jump into it. But if you want to open your Bibles to Esther chapter 3, uh, we're going we're gonna, I'm going to put all the verses up on screen because we're going to walk through a lot of Scripture this morning. Uh, but we started saying that the book of Esther, it's kind of a Christmas story, right? It's not really about the birth of Christ, but it is about how their lives were saved because of these acts that they did. And we talked about how the fact that the, the whole Christmas story is about how all humanity was saved because of the birth of Christ, right? Uh, but we also said that Mordecai is the hero of the story. Even though it's called the book of Esther, right? Mordecai is the hero of this story. Um, and in a little bit, I'll tell you actually why it's called the book of Esther. There's a reason why Esther is given, you know, the title coverage. Uh, and that Mordecai is a type of the church, right? He does the things throughout this book that we're supposed to see the church do. He reaches out, he helps people, he does the right thing, does the God-honoring thing. Uh, we also said this, that um, Esther, uh, she's just a type of the comfortable Christian. I was going to put reluctant Christian uh, because she's, when she's called upon, she's kind of reluctant to do the right thing, but she does end up doing it. But it's more that she's comfortable in her situation. Like a lot of Christians today, we're comfortable where we're at. We don't want to do too much. We don't want to do too little. Uh, we, we're just comfortable. And that's what she's dealing with. But we also said this, um, racism, hatred, cancel culture, nothing new, right? Because that's, that's what we see throughout the book of Esther, the reason that Haman uh, just like if Mordecai is the hero, Haman is the villain, uh, and it's all because of racism, it's because of hatred, and he tries to cancel out a whole people group just because one person didn't do something that he wanted them to do, right? So uh, we talked about all of this, and what we're going to talk about today is the fact that salvation for the people of Israel comes when Mordecai, who's a type of the church, encourages Esther who's like the comfortable Christian set in her ways, to step up and do the right thing. 
right? That's what this is. The, the rest of the story is all about. So uh, I'm going to put all the verses up on screen. So if you want to follow along, uh, we're going to start in Esther chapter 3. Uh, and this we already talked about last week. So um, Esther chapter 3, it says, Haman said to King Xerxes, there's a certain people, and he's talking about the Israelites, dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. That was one of his, his reasons why we need to get rid of these people is because they keep themselves separate. And that's kind of the problem with the church today. A lot of churches is like, oh, we don't go out with people. We don't mingle with people. We don't do things with people. And that's why a lot of people look at the church and say that you guys are like, you know, this weird entity. But if you look at the life of Jesus, he wasn't always in the synagogue with the Jews. He was out eating with people, meeting with people, talking with people, even the people who didn't think like he did, didn't believe like he did, even the people who were against him, he was still out amongst them. And that's what the church is supposed to be. And he said their customs are different, <clears throat> excuse me, from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. And then he issues this. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrator for the royal treasury. So his hatred, and we talked weeks ago about there was this uh, racial and hatred uh, and lineage that went back far before either Haman or Mordecai were born, just between their people, Right? Uh, but he says, hey, I'm going to invest, and we talked about the fact that uh, a talent is not a monetary tool. It's a unit of weight. 10,000 talents of silver today would be about $318 million. So he was ready to invest $318 million of his own money to just cancel out an entire people group because one person did something he didn't like. So the king took a signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha. And remember, this is recorded by Mordecai. So Mordecai writes, he gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. That word Agagite is a, a derogatory term for the Amalekites because of what happened with King Agag and how he was not killed by King Saul. But Mordecai is the one who records, yeah, he's an enemy of the Jewish people, right? Now, Esther hears about this because initially she didn't know that this was going on. So Mordecai, he sends a message to her because he's like, you're queen. You have to intervene. You can stop all this. You're in a position to save all of our people. And her initial response is this. All of the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Her initial response is, hey, guess what? If I say anything, if I go in and try to change the king's mind, there might be consequences if I speak up. And that's what we see a lot in the churches today. When something happens in a culture, you'll see people, you know, whether it be political or whatever, online complaining, news people complaining, and the church is silent. 
And I have asked pastors, I was like, hey, such and such just happened. Are you going to like talk about that on Sunday to your people? And usually I'll hear, nope, I'm just going to preach the gospel. So wait, there was just a, a mass shooting. You're not going to address that. There was just some kind of racial tension. You're not going to talk about it. There was just some kind of political turmoil that's dividing our nation, and you're not going to talk to your people about it. They're like, no, I'm just going to preach the gospel. And my question is always, so then how are they going to know God's perspective on these issues if the church is silent? Like, how do people know what God wants us to do? How do people know God's perspective on, yeah, here's how we should respond if the church is silent on it. And usually, they don't respond to me. And that's why sometimes, I know you guys are tired of hearing me talk about a lot of cultural issues or whatever, and I'm like, you don't have to form a whole sermon around it, but take a minute and address that there is turmoil, or that there is pain, or that there is anguish, or that there are people who are dealing with hardships that at least needs to be talked about. Because she says there might be consequences if I speak up. But the reality is there definitely will be consequences if the church doesn't speak up more frequently about what's going on. And the same was true here. There were consequences for her not speaking up. Haman responds to her when Esther's, Esther's words were reported to, not Haman, Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Now, he was a little harsh with her because their entire people are about to be wiped out. And he's like, hey, you're in a position to intervene. Don't think that if you're like, I don't want to get in trouble, that you'll be spared. But he also says this, and this is that famous line that everyone knows. He says, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And staying silent about these type of injustices, it doesn't relieve the responsibility that, that we are supposed to speak up. And it also doesn't relieve the responsibility that no matter what, what he's communicating is, hey, no matter what, if you don't step up, God's going to raise up somebody to step up. But there are consequences for you if you choose to disobey God when he calls you to do what he has asked you to do. And that's not just here, throughout the Bible, right? And I don't know if you guys remember, because we haven't talked about it in a while, the book of Jonah, Jonah and the whale, like literally God sends a storm to chase down their boat and sit over their boat because Jonah was supposed to go preach the gospel to people that were racially different, politically different, and enemies of his people. But God said, hey, I don't care. I want them to know me like you know me. And when Jonah refused, he sent a storm, and then he literally sent a whale. That's how bad God wanted these people to experience his love. But it's also how bad God will hunt us down if we refuse to do what God has called us to do, which is what she was doing. So then you jump to Esther chapter 6. 
And here, here let, me, let me give a little summary before we read this verse. A while back, we talked about the fact that even though Mordecai was in a nation that was not his own, he was under a government that he was opposed to, he still did the right thing. Because that's what the church is supposed to do, right? That's why he's like a type of the church. And when he heard of an assassination attempt against uh, King Xerxes, he reported it. He did the right thing. Later, the king is like, can't sleep. And he says, I know what will put me to sleep. Let me go read, you know, the legal journals of what's happened. And he comes across this account about the assassination attempt, which uh, I think literally was a few years prior. And he says, huh, Mordecai literally saved my life. And he says, I wonder, what can I do to show honor to Mordecai? So Haman comes in. Haman's one of the nobles. And the king says, hey, Haman, what can I do to show honor to someone who is truly deserving of it? And because Haman is so self-serving, he thinks the king's got to be talking about me. He says, you know what you should do? You should put that person on one of your royal horses, put them in one of your royal cloaks, and have one of your nobles lead them all throughout the city saying, this is what happens to the person to whom the king wants to honor. And so the king says, hey, Haman, that's a great idea. Go do that for Mordecai, because he's the one I want to honor. So Haman has to lead this person whom he hates, whom he's trying to wipe out his people through the city, saying this is what the king will do to someone who deserves honor. And then afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had just happened to him. And they knew he hated the Jews. They knew he hated Haman. They were one of the ones, I think it was in chapter 5, that said, you know what? Just get rid of them. Get rid of all of them. But now his advisors and his wife said to him, hey, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. Because here's the thing, even the enemies of God know that, hey, you can't fight against God. They'll fight against us, right, because they know they can win against us but they know that they cannot defeat the purposes of God. And just like uh, Mordecai said, hey, Esther, if you don't step up, God's going to have someone else step up because he is going to see his will done. This is the same thing in the book of Acts uh, when uh, the apostles were preaching and they were arrested because they were told, hey, the Pharisees said, you can't preach the name of Jesus. And Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. When they heard this, they were furious. They wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin, ordered that the men be put outside for a while. He told them of a couple of circumstances where some historical stuff had happened. But he said, hey, in this present case, with the apostles, leave these men alone, let them go. If their purpose or activity, if it's of human origin, it's going to fail. It's not going to go anywhere. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. If the church doesn't step up 
and do what God has called us to do, uh, God's going to raise up other people to do it. God will see his will done, but what he wants is for us to step up and us to be the vehicles that he uses to get his will done, right? But jumping back to Esther, chapter 7, excuse me. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet because Esther said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. You guys fast and pray for three days, and then I'm just going to, I'm going to go ahead, and I'm just going to uh, invite Haman and the king in and hold a banquet, and if I perish, I perish. I'm going to step up. I'm going to do the right thing. So she invites them to a banquet, invites them again the next day, and as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. That is my petition. And spare my people. That is my request. And she says, for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. In other words, she said, hey, here's, here's my petition. Save my life and my people. I don't have the authority to do it. You did. And she said, you know, if it was just, hey, we were going to be sold as slaves, I wouldn't even bother you with this. But you're talking about exterminating a whole people group, like genocide. So she's like, save my life. And the king, he says, whoops, sorry, went too far. Ah, why does this keep happening? Okay, King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he, where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? And Esther said, an adversary and an enemy, this vile Haman. And Haman was terrified before the king and queen. That word adversary and enemy is used of our adversary and our enemy, right? And he acknowledges, hey, he's, uh, uh, she says, he is an enemy of the Jewish people. And here's the thing. Whenever we see things like this where there's racial tension, whenever we see things like this where there's dissension in the church, whenever we see where there's like this divisiveness or whatever, it's not just a natural thing. It's the enemy at work in the church. Because those things are from the enemy, from the adversary, from Satan, whatever you want to call them. The hatred, the division, the racism, that's not a natural thing amongst the people of God. When you see it in the church, it's because the enemy is at work within the church. But whenever the people of God do the right thing, then God can work through the church to see his will done. But that means we have to be willing to step up and say, hey, that thing that just happened, that's, that's not right. That's not what we should be doing. That's not what God would expect from our people. And, and here's the thing. Salvation for the people, it ends up coming when Mordecai, again, like we said, who's a type of the church, encouraged Esther, the comfortable Christian, to do the right thing. And for too many issues and for too long, um, the church has been extremely silent. Right? For the church won't, won't talk about, you know, well, we don't talk about political issues. We won't talk about racial issues. We won't talk about mask issues or vaccination issues. No one's saying divide over it. No one's saying argue over it. 
but we cannot be silent about things, especially where it's causing loss of life and dissension and division, right? And it's not, a, it, it, it's not a matter of what's popular. It's not a matter of what's political. It's a matter of doing the right thing. Because when Esther steps up and says, yeah, we're going to do the right thing, then their people were saved. A whole people group. Because she said, you know what? I'm, 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 there might be consequences, but I'm going to speak out. And we, again, we, talked, we started with this uh, talking about the consequences and what happened uh, because then they ended up having this annual celebration, 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies because she stepped up. And as the month when their sorrow was turned to joy, their mourning into a day of celebration, and he, meaning Mordecai, wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents, food to one another, and gifts to the poor. Things worked out because she stepped up. And most people kind of think this is the end of the story, but it's not. There's like three verses in chapter 10 that really are important to the whole account. In chapter 10, this is what it says. King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores, and all his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of the Media and Persians? And here's, here's the thing. Whenever the church does the right thing, because that's Mordecai is a type of church, then the king blesses the church. Mordecai did the right thing, and then he was blessed. He got stepped up. But here's the really cool thing. It says why. It says Mordecai was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews, because he worked for the good of his people and because he spoke up for the welfare of the Jews. If Mordecai is a type of the church, then the church has to speak up on behalf of the people because no one else is going to do it. And the church, we're not, you don't speak up, we're not doing it because we're politically motivated, we're not doing it because it's the popular thing to do, we should do it because it's the right thing to do. We should also do it uh, because this is what Peter says. He says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. And that's usually the main thing that stops people from speaking up, right? Because if I, if I say anything, you know, my parents might get mad, my family might get mad. If I say anything, um, my coworkers might not talk to me anymore. If I say anything, I could lose my job. And so we remain silent while things in our culture are in literal chaos. Here's the reality, though. We don't have the option to remain silent because James literally says, and this is a really short verse, but it's to the point, if anyone, and when he says anyone, he's talking about anyone who calls themselves a Christian, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. 
if we know that there are wrongs being done and we should speak up and we don't, we're sinning against God. If we know that there's an action that's being done, whether it be uh, political or popular or cultural, and we remain silent when we should be saying, thus saith the Lord, then we're sinning. It's not saying that we have to, you know, go to every school board meeting or every town council meeting or whatever, but it is saying that we don't have the option of remaining silent. We can't be the silent church that sits by and watches injustices take place and call ourselves the church. We just have to call ourselves sinners like everybody else. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, uh, and I want to close out praying for the church, the body of Christ at large, uh, for 2022. Because we're, we're not perfect, right? The church, we're, we're, we're not perfect. We're, we're people who, who make mistakes just like everyone else. But God, we pray that we would, the Holy Spirit-filled, Bible-believing people of God, be willing to use our voice to speak up for what is right and to do the right thing. We know the world isn't going to magically get better, but we know that we bear the burden of speaking out your truth whenever we can. So we pray that every pastor, myself included, that your Holy Spirit would prompt us to teach your word, to preach your truth, and to proclaim your word boldly whenever we can. We pray for every Christ follower, every Esther, that they would be encouraged by the body of Christ to respectfully speak up when we can. And we pray that your people would make a difference in every community where the people of God gather. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.